Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful to us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined into the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all of the others in his house. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Anna. Great job. You can take that down with you. Thanks. Great job, yeah? You know, when I, when I read that scripture, it just occurred to me as I was looking at it, it says that it's really interesting the, the prejudice sometimes we come to uh, the Word of God with. Uh, because it says there, it's really interesting, being involved with translators in the past in my seminary life and translating some of the scriptures myself uh, for, for academics, um, you know, it, it, I find myself coming to the scripture with certain uh, almost cultural, church cultural uh, presumptions that I come to the scripture with. In that particular scripture, it's really interesting because it says that um, after the earthquake, after the earthquake, the jailer was trembling with fear and was seeking to take his own life. But the interesting thing is the word fear there, phobos in Greek, is nowhere in the text. In other words, the jailer was trembling, he was quaking. And the same word for quaking that's used uh, to describe the jailer is used to describe the earthquake that opened the jail. Isn't that fascinating? It's seismos, from which we get the word seismic. Something seismic happened to the earth, consequent to the proclamation of praise by Paul and Silas. Something shook 
the earth. I would go so far as to say that what shook the earth also shook the jailer. Are you there? And coming from my experience, where I have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that I shook, all right, that I shook, I could come to the text and not, not have to add the word phobos for fear. I could come to the text and say, wow, the Holy Ghost can shake your world such that you and your whole household can come to the power of God. How's that? And I'm hungry for that kind of shaking. Barry, I'm, I'm not even getting my text yet. Barry, Barry uh, Falkenstein uh, prophesied uh, about two weeks ago at a One Voice meeting. Now, One Voice is a group of pastors that have been meeting for 25 years weekly. Like, how crazy is that? 25 years faithfully every week, a group of pastors here in the valley initially began meeting here for about 20 years, well, really 24 years, and now we've moved it over to Calvary Temple. It's more centrally located. And I was the president of One Voice, and I've transferred that presidency over to Pastor Ray Ricketts with great glee, and because uh, he's a great guy. And, and, uh, and, and uh, anyway, so Barry was there, Barry Falkenstein, and came and prophesied that we were going to see a shaking, and that everything that could be shaken shake, shooken, or shaked, would be shaked. <laughs> All right. Shaky, shaky, shaky. Anyway, so, so, so like, uh, you know, I received that word. Now, I've heard that word every six months for 40 years as a Christian. Are you there? How many times have you heard that? Everything is going to be shaken. It's going to be shaken. And here's the thing. I want things shaken. I'm not afraid of that word. I am looking for something seismic to happen, you know, in my latter days that's going to just define the presence and the power and the glory of the living God. Are you there? And I'm believing for it. So I'm looking for something seismic to happen, and I'm looking forward to that even as we go into this uh, text uh, this morning. So, Thank you, uh, Anna, for reading. And this morning, we resume our series on the power of praise. And throughout this series, we've seen like how God commands us to praise him. Uh, we, we need to do that. It's, and he doesn't command us to praise him for him. He commands, him, he commands us to praise him for us. Huh? That's what Paul and Silas were doing when they were in stocks in the prison. They were singing and praising him. After having been flogged, they were, it was too painful for them to sleep. They were in prison praising him. Here's something interesting. And I'm still not getting to my text. <laughs> Here's something interesting. Uh, it's, look, the perception of faith is very often interpretive. What do I mean by that? In other words, to see your circumstances whatever circumstances you're in, whatever prison that you feel like you're in, is a matter of interpretation. Because every time I see someone in prison, in the scriptures, the prison doesn't end up being a prison. It ends up becoming a platform for the glory of God. Even at the end of the book of Acts, 
Paul is in jail in Rome. I've seen the jail in Rome where Paul was. Paul was in jail in Rome under armed guard by a Roman centurion, possibly looking for his execution. I don't believe at that time when he wrote the end of the book of Acts, he was actually executed. I believe he made it to Spain. But, but anyway, he was looking at the possibility of his execution. And while he was looking at the possibility of his execution, he said, you know what? The word of God is going forth unhindered. What I see, the way I feel, what I'm experiencing in my flesh is no hindrance to what God is doing. As a matter of fact, it's a platform for the glory of God. How do I know that? Because we're reading the very testimony of what he's doing in that prison all these 2,000 years later. How cool is that? Huh? And so, so I, you know, as a, we're going through this message, I don't know how far we're going to get this morning. Um, uh, it's Pastor Ian's message. It's a great message. Uh, but I don't know how far we're going to get, but I want you to ask yourself this question. What is my jail today? Huh? What, what is it that I feel is my hindrance? And how do I get to see my jail with eyes of faith? Because when I see my jail with eyes of faith, when I see what I believe encumbers me with eyes of faith, suddenly my prison becomes a house of worship. When I see what is imprisoning me, what is constraining me, what's binding me, what I sense that if I only could free myself from this, a job, a, a disease, uh, uh, whatever it might be, a relationship, whatever it might be, I want to say there's something deceptive in saying that that hindrance is, is something that is keeping us from God. It may mean that it's the springboard of something that takes us in to the presence of God, the power of God, the destiny of God. Are you there? Amen? And I, 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 this is a word I believe is for the church as we come out of this, whatever this pestilence is. And, and I believe, look, a lot of people prayed for elections and vaccinations and, and bound diseases and all that stuff. As we come out of this, you need to know, and I need to know, our prayers did not fall on deaf ears. They never do. Are you, are you there? But they produce something. And I believe we're going to see the production of that in the course of the season that's ahead of us. All right. So to, the title of today's message is The Consequence of praise. And we're going to look at three things, three things in this passage that Anna just read to us, three things which are uh, what praise produces. The first is liberation. And I don't really like that word liberation because it has political overtones. And in the politics of the world, when people say they're liberated, they're usually not. But I can't think of a better word. So it means becoming free, right? So we want to talk about becoming free. Remember, will you toss around in your spirits what it is that you feel like you're in jail to uh, this morning? Because at the end of this service, which is uh, only about 25 minutes away, uh, maybe in 20 minutes we're going to pray for people to begin to see the prisons with a new light. So let that toss around in your spirit. So praise produces liberation, and praise persists when we suffer. Huh? Praise persists when we suffer, but watch this. Praise also orients us toward compassion. 
Praise, when we praise God, we gain a perception of how very much God loves us. What I prayed for the musicians this morning, Trish, would you bring me that water up? Thanks. Uh, when I prayed for the musicians this morning, uh, uh, so the Holy Spirit kind of came on me, and, and I felt like I needed to praise, I needed to, needed to praise and pray for them in such a way that when they led us in worship, they would communicate God's love for us, which is another way of saying compassion. Uh, look, you know, we have, a, we, we have a, a tendency to say, look at how he loved us when he was crucified for us. Or we have a tendency to say, look at how he loved us when he went to the grave for us. We have a tendency to say, look at how he loved us when he rose from the dead on our behalf as, as a first fruits. But the truth is, he loves us just as much, as deeply, as magnificently as he dis, did then, he does that right now as we're sitting here. You realize that? He really loves us right now. He's in love with us. Hates the sin, dealt with the sin, but he loves us. So, all right, so there are three things that are, are kind of the, the, the result uh, of praise. So, in Acts, oh my gosh, this is the story of my life. <laughs> Thanks, Trish. <laughs> All right. In Acts 16, Paul's company of missionaries included Silas, it was Silas, Timothy, Luke, and they find themselves like diverted. They're on their way somewhere, and they find themselves diverted by the Holy Spirit into the city of Philippi, which is in Macedonia. And, and they intended to go in another direction, uh, but the Lord specifically sent them to this region, which we should bear in mind uh, as we examine what we're reading about them being imprisoned and flogged. I mean, like they're going where they weren't intending to go. They're going where they weren't intending to go, and they end up here, and they got to be able to understand that this is the will of God as they're getting flogged for casting out a, a, a spirit of divination. They got to understand that this is the will of God while they're thrown into prison in stocks. They got to understand that this is the will of God in order for a jailer and all of his household to become saved. Now, can I submit something to you? Here's, here's a thought. I believe, understanding as I look at how Paul uh, walked throughout the, the, the New Testament and in the book of Acts, can I submit to you that Paul, when he was going not to Philippi, when he was going elsewhere, thought he was going at the bidding of God. In other words, he thought he was following the direction of God. And he was, until God changed directions. Are, are, are you with me on this? You know, so many times in my life, I really felt as if God was doing this, only to have him do this, but that doesn't mean he wasn't doing this when he got me to do this. Are you there? Like, I did not intend in my early years to be standing here preaching to y'all. I don't, I mean, I love it. I, I don't mind it. You know, I like it. I love it. Can't get enough of it. Anyway, that shaky, shaky thing is on me. So, <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I'm sorry, Trish. Anyway, so, <laughs> so, so like, anyway, so where, where was I? They was intending to go there. I was, Trish and I were intending to be missionaries to France. When we started coming, when we took, took full-time ministry here at the bidding of the eldership, uh, we thought we were going to end up in Europe. We almost tried, tried, we tried to take a church in Europe. Uh, that's another story. I don't want to get off on it. But, but when we were doing that, that's why I can speak a little French right now. But you know what? That, that was God. When I, we were walking in God when we were doing that until God did this. And then when I tried to get back to doing that, it ain't going to work anymore. So the other thing I want to say this morning is this. Find the magic in where God has you. Huh? Don't ask where else you should be. Find the magic in where you are. I'm talking about kingdom magic. I'm talking about, I'm talking about Holy Ghost magic. I'm talking about that, that sense of the presence of God when you find yourself in positions, in jobs, in relationships, in schools, in careers, in this, in that. When you find yourself in places that feel like a prison, what is it that God has you there for? Because he's going to glorify himself in you. He's going to free you. That's the liberation part. He's going to free you. That's the liberation part. He's going to get himself glory. That's the, the glorification part of God. But the bigger thing is he's going to accomplish his purposes on the earth, no matter how uncomfortable sometimes it makes us feel. And I, I plow that right into this whole theology of pandemic. Are you there? Huh? And so this is the thing. What, what is this? When you experience a diversion in your life from what you expected, what you wanted, what you wished, what, all that stuff, God can be in that in a supernatural kind of way that's really important. Okay. Um, so in the process of being diverted, the first thing that happens to Paul and Silas and Luke is, is that they're in Philippi and they're ministering salvation and doing all the things that come second nature to them. I love the fact that, that both James and Mike came up here and said, while I walked up, I, God just dropped in my spirit what I was supposed to say. Well, I walked back to Mike and the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. I checked it out with Bob and said, I feel like you need to, to, to give a salvation call. I believe someone came to Christ this morning. I don't know if it was online or if you're in here. I believe something happened. And so anyway, so, so, so when those kinds of things are going on, uh, you need to see God in it. Now, what's really interesting is they get into Philippi, and there's a woman, with, uh, actually it says young girl in the text, with a python spirit. Now, it's, it's called a python spirit because pithos or py, python was the name of the spirit that accompanied the oracle of Delphi. She was the greatest prophes, prophes, prophetess in the pagan world. It was divination. It was a spirit of divination. What's really interesting is that what the spirit of divination was saying was true. Are you there? But it was motivated from the wrong heart. 
It was motivated from the wrong life. It was motivated from the wrong sector of, 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 of the kingdom of the air, which is the kingdom of darkness. It was motivated, but it was true. Now, every deception that we encounter in life always has enough truth to suck you down the toilet. <laughs> Are you there? I mean, it's just the way things work. Uh, Alistair McGrath, who is uh, Ian's uh, mentor at, at Oxford, if I'm not mistaken, who's a brilliant, he, he wrote this brilliant book on, on, the, uh, on the creeds and so forth, and, and we preached from some of his stuff here. Uh, he, he said this, he says, heresy isn't just a, an intellectual mistake. Are you there? Heresy is a, a, a doctrine or a teaching or a saying or a proclamation that ultimately destroys, destabilizes, distorts a, a, a mystery rather than preserving it for the glory of God. And that was what was happening here. She's saying something that is really true. But, but watch this. The tricky thing about it is, is that it's not initially obvious, which is why Paul hesitated. He needed to exercise this thing called the discerning of spirits. So the first slide today says, heresy is more often revealed not by false information, but by false fruit. I've seen that over the course of my lifetime. Look, we live in an age right now, I don't know if you realize this, because it seems to many Christians as if the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. But the thing that amazes me is that across the landscape, whether it's Europe, or I should say in the West, whether it's Europe, whether it's the US, whether it's Mexico, Canada, uh, wh wherever it is in the West, there, there is a seductive thing across the landscape, and, and there's a thirst for the supernatural. Interesting, isn't it? There's a thirst for the su supernatural. And when that happens, mysticism of any kind can be, uh, it, it can be seductive, and it can be a moneymaker. And what, why, why people gravitate to it is because, because it's cheap. What do I mean by that? It doesn't require any kind of moral sensibility or any kind of moral behavior in line with the character of God as long as it tickles your, tickles your ears and tickles your fancy and lets you know that there's something bigger out there than you, whatever it is. Are, are you there? And that's what Paul and Silas were coming across. The Oracle of Delphi never told anybody that they shouldn't commit adultery. The Oracle of Delphi never told anybody. That's the spirit this girl was operating under. And by the way, she had handlers. Huh? There were people making money off of what she was doing. And obviously, some of the predictions were true. I dealt with somebody just two weeks ago who was involved with Santeria right here in, in the Lehigh Valley. You know? And some of the predictions that were produced, that's a... Uh, a Hispanic form of kind of witchcraft. And, and, and so it's here, you see, they're fortune tellers. You, you realize they make money, you know? Uh, and, and, and people go to them because they're thirsty for knowing something is going on greater than them. I dealt with a gal uh, a number of years ago, we're going back 15, 20 years, who prophesied and was a fairly accurate prophet. 
and 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 but then you know things happened and you know the the family didn't behave itself and they they left the church and they were angry and bitter and so forth and there were other things going in other words there was sin involved are you there and i found out later that she went into astrology and so when she wanted to come back into the things of the church i said why did you ever go oh, that's a spirit of divination are you there I said, why? She said, well, it's the church's fault. If I, they told me I couldn't prophesy. If I couldn't prophesy, I needed to do something like that, which told me that the spirit was op that was operating in her was the wrong spirit from the beginning. Well, how do you know that? Because the fruit of her life, the fruit of actually the whole troop of characters that was associated with her went the wrong way. Are, are, are you with me? So this is really interesting stuff. See, uh, by the way, we're, we're gonna, uh, next week I'm excited. You want to bring, if you have anybody like who's, um, next week is going to be a little bit of an evangelistic Sunday, both in McCungie and here. We're going to pray for people to receive the gift of tongues, all right? Because it's a really important gift, and we're going to speak on it. And, and, and here's the deal. One of the things that I've noticed over the course of all these years in ministry is nothing hinders the gift of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, like a false spirit operating in the individual who's attempting to receive a gift of the Spirit. Which is why when I received the gift of, of tongues 40 years ago, I, I, I had to renounce every single thing that I'd messed with in terms of a false spirituality in order to really be released in a prayer language, and in prophecy, and those things that really became effective in my life. So we're going to do some of that next week. And I just wanted to throw that in there as kind of a teaser for, for next week, okay? So uh, anyway, we're told that this slave girl was demonized by a python spirit, and then Paul uh, finally uh, uh, cast it out. And guess what? Something in the heavens got dislodged in that location and people got angry. It wasn't only the, prof the prophet motive, that was part of it, but people got angry because, because something in the, in, 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 in the air became dislodged. Uh, well, how do we know that she was uh, uh, demonized? Well, she was saying the right things, but watch this, she was speaking from a place of bondage and a place of oppression. She was enslaved to the handlers who were profiting off the quote gift, end quote, that she was giving. So we have here this, these technical correct statements, but the fruit of those beliefs resulted in confusion, captivity, control, greed, dehumanization. You know, you know contrast that with the spirits that's operating in Paul and Silas and Luke and so forth. Because the next slide says this, the fruit of Christ-like praise is liberation. In other words, when we praise God, we become free of either whatever actually is binding us or what's binding us becomes transformed into a freedom that's greater than the binding itself which is what happens to Paul and Silas in prison. Are you there? Huh? And so, 
So here we are. First thing Paul does is he rebukes the spirit is he brings clarity to who Jesus really is, to the name of Jesus Christ. So, hallelujah, okay. Um, as we fix our hearts on praise and how we praise, the question is not whether it's theologically correct. It's this, are our lives bearing fruit? Is my life bearing fruit? And, and if my life is bearing fruit, the praise is what it's supposed to be. Because um, the praise of Paul and Silas not only liberates them, but it <laughs> liberates the jailer and all of his household. Um, I was talking to somebody two weeks ago, and, and um, I, just, I don't want to mention names, but what I loved about it was they, were, they had to make a move that was a, a move that, that they, you know, that they weren't sure they were supposed to make, and it was a geographic move. It affects your family. It affects, you know, you make a geographic move that affects everything. And so, so, so uh, the, the husband's walking in, into somewhere in O'Hare Airport, and he, he turns a corner, and someone walks up to him and, and says to him this. He says, uh, you're so, something like this. I'm not quoting verbatim, but something like, you're really trying to figure out whether you're to make the move. You're really supposed to make it. This is the hallway of O'Hare Airport, right? You're really supposed to, to, to make that move, and it's going to be good. It's going to be a productive move. And then walks away. They made the move. Consequent to making the move, they end up coming to Christ, you know, being filled with the Spirit, and they did it because they walked, when they, when they were looking for a church in the place that they were going to be looking for a church, they had been in traditional churches all their lives, and they walked in, and there were all these people praising God, raising their hands. The Holy Spirit began to witness to their spirits, and they said, we never saw a church like this. So praise liberated them and brought them to a place of grace, consequent to the move. And they were there for a season, they moved back. So... I find this stuff fascinating. And this, this pirouettes me into something that Trisha felt strongly I needed to say. That, that person who encountered them, I, I, this, is very, this is very conjectural, but uh, I, I, and I said this at the One Voice meeting on Thursday because I feel like God's speaking in this area. Uh, and it's pretty conjectural, but I feel like that was an angel unaware, you know? Scripture says, be careful how, you, how you're hospitable and how you treat people, your attitude toward people. Oh, boy, man, I wonder how many angels unaware got rejected during this pandemic, you know. You know. What if an angel told you to put on a mask and you say, I rebuke you. Anyway, so, so, <laughs> like, what is it Bob Mumford used to say? Oh, God, what do you want me to do? Lord, I'll do anything. God says to, to, to Mumford, he says, I want you to, sell, to take your brand new car and give it to the guy up the street. Mumford says, I rebuke you, devil. Anyway, so. <laughs> so, so like, here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, the Lord's been dealing with me on this. And, and I said this on Tuesday or Thursday at the retreat at Blue Mountain. Uh, and I'll say it here. I, Trisha said, you need to say this. So I'm going to say it. 
And I'll say it next week in my kanji as well. I believe that God is um, delivering us as a people into a, into a season where we're going to be encountering informative angels. That sounds pretty wacky, doesn't it? Uh, and yet it's all through Scripture. Are you there? Whether it's Gabriel or the angels who visited Abraham and Sarah, you know, don't discount the idea that you can entertain an angel and you're unaware until afterwards and you think, oh my gosh. And I'm talking about corporeal, not, not that, corporeal, you know, like in, in bodily form. Uh, and, and just in my own life, you know, I, I, I've, I think I've told this story here, but I can't remember. But I was wondering if I should tell this story. And then Gina came up, Gina Young came up to me because it, it happened in Paris 20 or 30 years ago. But Gina came up and said, I have this postcard of you from Paris and I meant to bring it today. I'll bring it next week. I said, you mean like from 20 or 30 years ago? She said, yes. So I'm going to tell the story. So I'm in Paris, right? All right, I'm in Paris. It's my first time in Paris, probably 30 years ago. And, and, uh, and I, I'm there alone, which was a mistake. I should not have been there alone. I should have been, had someone with me. Uh, uh, Trisha's home tending to all these children. I should have taken someone. That's the biblical order, right? And so I got robbed by this, this uh, gypsy. And I got robbed, and I'm, I'm like, oh, in, in the Paris subway, which is, you know, Carol Appalucci, who was our, who was our missionary in France at the time, said, Tell Grubby not to go in the subway alone. He'll get robbed. Well, I got robbed. Anyway, so, <laughs> so um, this guy took most of my money, you know, and, and, uh, and I don't know if I had cards or what, but I was, I was down in the mouth, right? And I'm hungry, okay, because I'd been traveling all day, and now it's toward evening, and I'm hungry, and I'm feeling sorry for myself. And, and I was saying to myself, uh, oh, what I'd give for an American hot dog. <laughs> That's true. You know, anybody who knows me knows that my Achilles heel is hot dogs, specifically Potsy's hot dogs with sauerkraut and yellow mustard. Anyway, so, so I'm walking in the Paris subway thinking, oh, now how am I going to get the money back? How am I, what am I going to do? How am I going to get to a hotel? How am I going to eat? I didn't have any money for, in those days you didn't have cards to take a taxi, and, and, and I, so I'm walking down the subway, and I'm going to walk out of the subway, and I turn the corner to go up the steps, okay? And all of a sudden, this guy comes down the steps, and he's got a hot dog in his hand. Now, there are no hot dogs in Paris, all right? You can get a great baguette, but you ain't getting a hot dog. And, and this guy says in French, voudrez-vous un hot dog? And I'm, I'm like, like this, and he puts it in my hand, okay, and then he walks away, and it's wrapped, and I open it up, and it has yellow mustard on it. There is no yellow mustard in France, you know, and, and it has yellow mustard on it, and, and I ate the hot dog, and then this, the, the whole scripture uh, uh, from Isaiah comes up in my heart and says, you know, come to me, anyone who thirsts, Come, you know, you will, you will buy food without money. You will, you will you'll drink without money, you know. Come to me, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And I thought, God is speaking provision to me. Now, I have no idea 
Uh, I had sheer conjecture, but I kind of believe that was an angel. Are you there? And so I have a message that I preached years ago in different places called A Hot Dog in Paris. Uh, <laughs> could be a Woody Allen movie, but anyway, so, so, <laughs> oh man, I, I just wasted the whole 20 minutes. All right. So the other thing was, was this, and so a lot of you were around for this one. This is, this is a doozy, uh, but I believe that was an angel. I really do. All right. All right. So the, the, the next one is, is back here four years ago. I was going to India, right? And Denise isn't here, so I can talk about her. So when I, when I put the, uh, the application in that she had written up for my, my visa, you know that Modi is now the, the uh, prime minister in, in India. He's a Hindu nationalist and really, really against Christian missionaries, right? You know, so, so like, uh, I'm going to go, and we were having a prayer meeting the night before I was going to leave, and so I asked Esther Nimbakar, who's from, from Mumbai, to come pray for me. She's so quiet. Those of you who know Esther, you know, right, she's just a quiet gal, and she doesn't, she, she's not one to take authority. She got up and laid hands on me. She took authority over Indian customs. She took authority over... I mean, she took authority over stuff that I didn't even know you could take authority over in the name of Jesus. And it was really, I'm thinking, whoa, Esther, what happened to you? And she's since moved to Boston. They're, they're, they're doing great. Anyway, so, so the next day I fly out. I fly, and because, because the, oh, I, I missed a key part here. Sorry about that. The application for the passport, for the visa went out on New Covenant letterhead. And so when the visa people in India saw that it was a Christian ministry, they looked it up, yeah, okay, and they said, this guy's coming in as a missionary. So then I get these letters back saying, you ain't coming here, boy. And so we appealed it, and then they, I had to fill out all kinds of stuff. And Keith, who's the apostolic leader at the time in New Delhi, which was where I was going to meet Pastor Ian, said, look, you need to expect when you come in, they're going to pull you into interrogation and you're probably going to be there till Jesus comes. Uh, and so, seriously. And so, so I'm like, okay, so I fly out of JFK, which is a big, you know, yeah. And, and, and then I, I go to Frankfurt, Frankfurt, I'm going to come into Mumbai and then Mumbai is where I'm going to enter the country to meet Ian in Delhi. And so I'm coming down this hall. You guys have been to Mumbai. I mean, it's this immense hall. It's just huge. And there's this river of people coming down the steps out of all the plains and from every ethnicity, nationality, you know, white people, dark people, uh, 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 Indians, Africans, everybody's coming down this, these steps. And I'm coming down the steps, and this Indian soldier in, in a brown uh, army outfit with an Uzi, okay, walks through the people as we're coming down the steps. And I'm stealing myself to be drug into interrogation when I get to customs and immigration. And I'm walking down the steps, and he walks through the crowd, and he grabs my arm rather strongly and says, Sir, would you come with me? And, and I said, I'm thinking to myself, but I didn't even get to customs and immigration yet. 
How could he know, you know? How could he ever know? And so I'm, I'm walking down the steps. I, I didn't even a chance to pull out my passport. And I, and I, and he, dra- he not drags me, that's, that's not true. He, he just escorted me over and put me in a line and says, go through here. And I, it was like three people ahead of me in the sea of humanity in this over in a corner. And it was the line for ambassadors and VIPs. And then he disappeared and I was in India in five minutes. No interrogation. Now, what do you make of that? Uh, man, what do you make of that? I, I say, uh, next time I go to India, we're flying Esther down here to pray for me for sure, you know? And I just think, holy moly, you know? And it was a great trip. And it, it kind of gave rise to the fact that Ian's here now. So, all right, I feel, I felt, Earlier this, this week, the Lord saying that he was going to deliver the church into a season of angelic visitation with informative angels. All right, so what that means is we need to be, have our hearts aware to discern that, right? Because the consequence of praise is that Peter was visited by an angel when he was in jail. Now, he was in jail waiting to be executed, and he was fast asleep. See, this is, this is what, what Christians in persecution do in countries that aren't the West. So, all right. I, well, I believe I delivered the word of the Lord, <laughs> even though. Uh, can the musicians come up? So I'd like to pray for two things for us. There was a second part of the prophecy uh, that I gave at Blue Mountain. It was this. I felt like the Lord said he was going to raise up a new gen- another generation of, of leaders. And this is what I heard the Lord say. I heard the Lord say, they're going to walk on their knees faster than marathon runners can run on their feet. Although the knees are a symbol of prayer, they're going to walk on their knees because they understand, as leaders, meekness and humility. So God's going to raise up a series of leaders who understand meekness and humility, and that meekness and humility are not powerless. They're means to power in the spirit. Hallelujah. Seismic change, angels unaware, and leaders who lead from their knees. Hallelujah. I want to pray for a dispensation of angelic presence. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for us for this church, for NC4, people online, people here. And according to your word, Lord, um, for a dispensation, a season where uh, we meet angels unaware and that you glorify yourself, you cause awe to well up within us when we realize probably after the fact that we've been visited by you and how normal your kingdom can look sometimes. So in the name of Jesus, we release angelic protection, angelic wisdom, because it's the wisdom of God. In Jesus' name, give us a spirit of discernment, God, one of your gifts. In Jesus' name. Lord, we ask together 
as we go through this praise dispensation that we're in, this season of praise, into next week, tongues are a praise to you, God. They're God-directed. That's the way they're different from prophecy. We pray, Lord, uh, for many new people to give their prayer languages. We pray for just a, a new effectiveness in prayer in people's lives consequent to it as we celebrate Pentecost next week. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for one another, anyone who sees themselves in prison. We pray for discernment as to what platform that is, that prison is. Wherever people feel captive, as long as it's not sin, as long as it's not sin, we pray, Lord, for discernment as to how that can become a platform for your greatness. How great you are. Great are you, Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain of your holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth. Hallelujah. 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 And lastly, Lord, we pray that you would raise up an army of leaders. As we make this transition, give us leaders who, who can run on their knees, not seeking power, but seeking the power that comes from meekness and humility and the life that comes from your spirit. So we ask that for every one of us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.